Hello everybody and welcome back to Pop and Schlock. This is Jacob King and I am happy that we are back live once again. Apologies for the brief hiatus. We were struck by a series of unfortunate events and had to get our shit in order before we could dedicate our time to the show the way we usually do. But now we're here and this week we're diving into the HBO Max original series Our Flag Means Death starring Reese Darby and Taika Waititi created by David Jenkins. Uh, the first season runs 10 episodes long and follows the journey of Steve Bonnet, an upper-class gentleman who decides to leave his stable life at home for a life of adventure and piracy upon the high seas. It's a high-concept, heightened reality comedy series that also features one of the most organically produced queer romances in recent memory. And Meredith and I both had a blast with it. Uh, so anyway, be sure to like and subscribe to the show now that we're back in the full swing of things. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PopSchlockPod. And look us up on Facebook if you're still into that sort of thing. And so without further fuss, here is episode 13, Our Flag Means Death. pretend that we still know how to do this because I like like I checked back we haven't done this since February which doesn't seem like a long time but also feels like forever so well, well in fair, my you had work and then my place flooded yeah so. and I was I was hospitalized for a little what? while yeah I didn't know that oh yeah Holy uh, shit. yeah I uh, yeah yeah I had I had an infection and uh, had to go to the hospital and uh, then oh I did some, yeah. And then uh, I had to do several weeks of wound care afterwards. Um, oh, so I wish you would have told me I would have done something to help. Yeah, it was it was not it was not a fun way to spend my spring break. God, I'm so sorry. I wish I had known. Yeah, I tr I tried to keep it secret, uh, or at least as quiet as possible. Uh, but yeah, it, it's been a, like it's been a weird couple of months. So I'm just yeah, glad that we're back to. Uh, what I guess we can I guess we can call this the our our normal, uh, which yeah. is just talking about things that are entirely well within our wheelhouse. Uh, so we can do, do nope next week. Yeah, I want to either do nope or I want to do pray. I haven't figured out which yet. Oh, okay, uh, pray is going to streaming, right? Yes, pray will be on Hulu. So I'd, I'd like to kind of focus on stuff that we can find on streaming, just because a. Uh, like it's gonna go. It's gonna be expensive to go to iPick every week to see things, um, because that's the safest. And B, monkeypox. Yeah, <laughs> that's a thing. So yeah, the the world out there is still scary and frightening. And uh, if we can just make use of the massive amount of streaming content that there is out there, uh, the better for us yeah, at I least. Yeah, I prefer that. At least One until. I was going to say, at least until HBO Max folds in on itself after today's am, uh, announcements. Uh, it's going to be summer of next year, and I'm so mad about that because apparently it has a lot to do with the fact that Discovery Plus is mostly like reality stuff. And yeah. it's a cost-cutting It's a cost. It's a, ma it's a major cost-cutting measure, uh, yeah. measure, and I don't know how it's going to affect certain series because what I'm, what I'm hearing, and this is very relevant to what we're going to be talking about today, is that... Uh, the scripted series at HBO Max that are produced specifically for HBO Max, uh, mm -hmm. those are going to be going by the wayside and HBO's channel content, stuff that gets produced for over-the-airwaves cable networks, will still find its way onto whatever platform HBO streaming 
Discovery plus whatever chimera emerges from this uh, this quagmire. Yeah, that stuff will like, end up there, but I don't think we're going to be seeing as many shows like uh, Our Flag Means Death, even stuff like Peacemaker and the rumored Penguin spinoff from the Batman. I don't know where those fall. So it's uh, it's going to be an interesting time for uh, for Warner Brothers and Discovery. It, but It seems like it's going to just crash and burn. It's yeah. a terrible decision, especially for something like Our Flag Means Death, which was um, a like the top series for like seven weeks straight, including like beating out star Wars and, and Marvel shows. Yeah. And that's, yeah. uh, that's our topic of discussion for today. Sorry, everybody. I haven't figured out how to do intros again. Um, welcome back oh, to the show. Been, have we been recording this whole time? Yeah, that's, we're definitely back on brand. Um, so yeah, we're going to be talking about Our Flag Means Death today, which is, uh, as described by the series creator, a pirate rom-com uh, that is currently streaming on HBO Max. Uh, if you're listening in the year of our Lord 2022, um, I don't know how the, well this oh, uh, this episode is going to play I'm next thinking, year. My Two things. My food is here. So Jake, it's time for you to monologue. Um, okay. Also, am I recording on your end? Yes, you're well? coming. You're coming through fine. Okay. So, okay, yeah, uh, I'm not on my. I'm not on my normal setup because I'm not at home. Uh, yeah. Well, but yeah, I'm gonna go get my food while you monologue. All right. So, welcome back to the show. Uh, we have been off the air for the better part of the early first quarter of 2022 because of various reasons, which we're not gonna go into uh, because. Really, nobody wants to hear that. You're here for the content that we always produce, which is Meredith and I looking at different forms of pop culture and media and trying to make sense of it in one way or the other. Uh, we are not like typical movie podcasts in that we don't have that typical uh, agree-disagree dynamic that a lot of hosts have. I've seen a lot of movie podcasts lately buy into what I like to call the, uh, the, the sports radio talking head dynamic, where... Everybody is at odds with each other at all times because that's the only way that they can produce content. That's not what we do here at Pop and Schlock. Here we tend to spend more time looking at the things that we enjoyed about a piece of media and why you as our listeners should engage with this piece of media, should try to consume it, enjoy it, whatever you want to say. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at Our Flag Means Death, which I'm sure, uh, as you may have guessed, is very much in our wheelhouse. Um for a lot of reasons, I'm sure Meredith will bring hers into the fold once uh, she has her uh, food all set up and she's ready to rock and roll. But I'll talk a little bit about my background, specifically as it relates to this. I have a particular affinity for uh, pirate stories, and this goes back to uh, the fact that I was a history minor in college, which has been brought up several times on the show in the past. Uh, so much show that I'm pretty sure it's become a drinking game of some kind among our listeners. If it hasn't, uh, go ahead and start writing the rules up for that right now. But I did study uh, for a semester the history of pirates and smuggling, which was one of the more interesting classes that I took while uh, in undergrad. And I absolutely loved it. And one of the things that I love about uh, the lore and mythology of piracy is how twisted and discombobulated it has become by becoming intertwined with pop culture. Uh, what we know and what we understand of piracy and pirates and all of that, uh, a lot of what popular, uh, of what 
popular culture has given us has been taken as fact. And uh, this is just whenever the idea or the conceptual, uh, the conceptualization, conceptualization of piracy pops into someone's mind. Usually what you're thinking of is what has been fed to you by uh, some form of movies, television, books, etc. Um, the most famous example, of course, being the fact that a lot of what we take the prototypical type pirate to be was taken from Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island, uh, and that's just the way that things the way that things are. Uh, I don't think that there is any archetype that has been more influenced by popular culture and the fictionalization of that archetype than the quote-unquote pirate. And I love diving into the fact versus reality portion of looking at pirate stories. Uh, if you are interested at all in doing uh, some of your own research into the history of pirates and piracy and the interesting world that uh, accompanies that, uh, some reading for you. This is uh, based off of my own personal reading. I think these are two of the best uh assemblages of information that you can look into for better information on the golden age of piracy and the concept of piracy at large. Uh, the first, of course, would be uh, Under the Black Flag by uh, David Cordingly. This is probably one of the most well-known pieces of nonfiction literature about uh, the history of pirates, and it's a good place to get started. It's a little bit dry. If you want something that is... Hey! A, what did hey. I miss? Did you bore the audience yet? No, but I am giving them uh, I'm giving them reading tips if they are interested in the history of piracy, which is sort of my background coming into this. Uh, I already oh, mentioned great. Under the Black Flag by David Cordingly, which is probably one of the most well-known. The other, which I read earlier this year uh, and found vastly uh, more entertaining, is The Republic of Pirates by uh, Colin Woodard. And there's an excellent version of that available uh, as an audiobook, which I highly highly recommend and oh, i'll I, bring I, yeah oh, go ahead no i was gonna say uh, I'll, I'll bring up uh factual information as necessary throughout this podcast but right. uh, something that i want to bring up though before we start on like the his like the comparing the history side we are aware of the debates regarding the fact that uh blackbeard and steed bonnet in real life were uh involved in the slave trade and steed bonnet himself was a slave owner and this has understand, there is a debate uh, among black fans regarding erasure of this reality, because it's not brought up at all in the show, versus the fact that from what I understand, there are black writers and asking black writers to write more about black pain. Um, that is a discussion for black fans to have and for us to listen so Jake and I are staying in our lanes on this one and encourage you instead to uh, do your own reading and research. And um, if you are yourself not black and therefore not really impacted by this, to listen instead of having an opinion in all caps. Um, this is not our discussion to be having. So uh, we wanted to acknowledge this while also acknowledging that um, that that's not, it's not our lane. Yeah, definitely not my place to speak on that. Uh, as far as the historical versus fiction part of it, I believe that it's the easiest thing to say is that with regards to the characters that are portrayed in this series, and a good number of them are taken from 
the historical record, many of them have their rougher edges sanded off and no, in no place is that more, uh, more pointed or more readily acknowledged than with Blackbeard as a character. Um, because Blackbeard is presented in this context as very much a prototypical lovable rogue who has, of course, a dark side, but is nowhere near made out to be the absolute marauding madman that the historical text would have you believe he, he is either. And the truth is that he's probably more in the middle um, in terms of exactly how bloodthirsty or ravenous he was and exactly how violent his actions were and how much of that was played up by the authorities in order to paint pirates as a collective group as being dangerous. Because one of the things that I find interesting, and this is something that's covered very, very well in the, uh, the book that I mentioned, the Republic of Pirates is that uh, in the golden age of piracy, which is where this uh, whole story is set pirates, generally speaking. And if you look at the way that uh, our society works now it's kind of surprising that we don't have more people operating in the veins of pirates of yesteryear now um piracy was a direct if 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 inflation keeps up as it is and wages aren't i will probably see a return to it right and And especially no and we'll also bring up especially with as uh as as much um you know, homophobia and transphobia is being codified into law, considering a lot of pirates were gay. Yeah, I want to... And I, I wanna, want to emphatically state that the one thing that I will say about uh, Our Flag Means Death is I love that between this show and uh, Black Sails from a couple of years ago, Popular media has finally acknowledged that pirates are gay as hell. And it's, it's historically speaking, that is a fact. Um, and a lot of that comes from the fact of the way that pirate crews operated and the way that aboard a pirate ship as portrayed in uh, both this show and on uh, Black Sails and the like... Um, Piracy and life aboard a pirate ship was very largely a reaction to the strict, harsh nature of the uh, British Navy and the uh, the merchant vessels that were operating at the time. It, because the likelihood of a person who became a pirate, uh, their options were very, very limited. During the Golden Age of Piracy, you were either destitute or you were likely to either be press-ganged into a merchant operation or find yourself aboard a naval ship and the survival rates aboard those ships were absolutely abysmal. So honestly, your best shot at a decent halfway decent life was to turn to, uh, was to turn to piracy. And it was, and that's kind of, that's kind of implied with Lucius. Yes. Little bits and pieces you hear of his backstory. It's kind of implied that that's he found himself in it, like, and a lot of that is also to... it's also codified visually by his style of dress which is uh, t- it's sort of the prototypical sort of dress that you would see somebody in his position aboard either a naval or a merchant ship um, but there are a lot of things that this show really does well in terms of 
you look at the historical record and what life was really like at sea. Uh, I do like that where this show was centered around uh, the central character. I'll, I'll go ahead and say uh, Steed is probably our central character. Steed, uh, Steed Bonnet, who fancies himself as the quote gentleman pirate, who was in fact a real actual living human being and pirate in the golden age of piracy. And, and he did. And slave owner. We need to, like I said, we need to acknowledge that. Whether or not it should be addressed in the show uh, by, from what I understand, there are black writers on the staff. That's the part that's not our discussion, but we should still acknowledge history. Yes. And one of the things that the the show rounds off a lot of his rough edges. And also, I will say, uh, from looking at the reading that I've done and the research that I've done, the show does not capture one-tenth of exactly how terrible Steed Bonnet was at being a pirate. Uh, they, I don't think that anybody would realistically believe how bad of a pirate he actually was if they played it 100% straight. Uh, so they have done with it what they will. Uh, Blackbeard also, I feel like if they had gone off of the historical record and what we supposedly know about him as a historical figure, a lot of it would not play either. Uh, one of the things that I really like about Our Flag Means Death is the way that they balance uh, my favorite word on this podcast, and that's the tone. Uh, they weave these, this outlandish uh, this outlandish historical record and turn it into something that is just... Every time I turn on an episode, I find it hard to... Uh, not binge watch the entire thing all over again because it's just well because of that i've watched it five times all the way through that does not surprise me one bit at all i can't i couldn't stop like it was just so damn funny um there's just so much to like about it like lucius and izzy hands and spanish jackie and jim jim's whole story arc with oluwande and and uh frenchie inventing the pyramid scheme the pyramid and, and scheme episode me. killed me. It absolutely amazing. killed me. It's it's mm. just it's very rare that you will see shows like this. These are these are one in a million type shows, and I give so much credit to uh, David Jenkins, who's the show creator. I have not seen his previous efforts before this, but it makes me, me want either. to seek it out because. The, the melding of sensibilities between uh, his creation of this series melded with uh, what we know of Taika Waititi, uh, it, it's just, it's chef's kiss. It comes together so perfectly. And whenever someone pointed out before I had even seen a trailer, oh, there's going to be a comedy pirate series and Taika Waititi is going to be playing Blackbeard, that elevator pitch alone should be enough to get most people on board. Um, I actually didn't know that Taika Waititi was involved at first. My my first learning of it was Reese Darby is leading a pirate comedy. I was like, that man deserves to be like the lead in something. I'm so happy for him. I'm gonna watch this because I love Reese Darby. And then we later on, up, they were like, we brought up Reese Darby oh, several times on this podcast as being yeah. somebody who deserves a a bigger. Uh, sense of appreciation from a wider yeah. audience. Like when I, when I saw him in uh, guns akimbo, I pointed at the screen and I was like, that's Reese Darby. It's Reese Darby. Um, he's 
so so when they added in Taika Waititi's playing Blackbeard, I was like, that's going to be fun. Um, so I watched it uh, around the time it first came out. There were, um, like, maybe maybe a month later, because like I said, uh, so my condo flooded <laughs> for context here. <laughs> so um, I wasn't really able to uh, finish watching it <laughs> um, until a little later. But I started on it as soon as I could. And uh, amazing show. Love it. Uh, what I really appreciate, too, and this is part of the reason why it's garnered such a, a huge audience, particularly queer fans, which I'm sure is something we're going to bring up constantly in this episode. Um, they're, most of the characters are LGBTQIA somewhere. And it's not their defining characteristics. No, I, th- I think that's I think I, that's the best though, the best yeah. compliment I can pay this series is that um, it is a very very gay show, and I love every single minute of it. But I love that every character uh, has a fleshed out sense of definition aside from their sexuality, and I like right. the fact that there are multiple LGBTQIA characters. And they don't step on each other's toes. It's the same situation where you hear that story a couple of years ago about how when Stephanie Beatriz uh, auditioned for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, she didn't think she was going to get the part because there was already another Latina on the show. You you feel that here in terms of like, uh, this is not somebody who's like, oh, we've checked off the box. We've got our bi person. Oh, we've got our non-binary person. It's everything feels organic and true to the stories they're trying to tell and right. the arcs that they're trying to put these characters through we have we have long passed the point in media where representation where all your your characterization is i'm gay i'm bi where that's you know we we applaud them for inclusion we're past that they need to be fully fleshed out rounded characters one thing that i really liked uh and i know that that every every non-binary person that i have personally spoken to which does not mean that this reflects every single experience of non-binary people i have to say this um they loved that jim never had to explain they them pronouns and non-binary the, and the, i appreciated i appreciated out, that as well out scene with jim was everybody thinking jim was a mermaid instead <laughs> of being shocked please explain non-binary to us like it was such a great moment where they could have really just been like hand-holdy but it really like was just like, well, Jim's non-binary. Let's move on. Yeah, they're like, this is I just... They, they presented it in such a way that it does not treat the audience like idiots. And by yeah. proxy, you get a little bit of appreciation for all of the characters within, that, within the universe that exists on film because they don't treat each other like idiots as well, even though most of them are. <laughs> um I, I really did appreciate except, the way that they handled that. Izzy hands, Izzy hands being the one human on a ship full of Muppets, but that's also just his personality. Yeah, he does think and, everybody's an idiot, so he acts, he treats everyone like an idiot. But and it's what's fu- what's funny is speaking of Izzy hands, um, as a character, and based off of my research, Izzy hands is the most historically accurate character on the show. I Even fully believe. That he's meant to be a 16-year-old boy. Yeah, at the, at the time, 
of this uh, of when this was going on, uh, he would have been indeed sixteen years old. Uh, the, the ages and the timelines are a little bit off, uh, but in terms of that is exactly what I would have imagined Israel hands to be like in real life. It's it's perfect and but kudos. Like, I, I think I think I think they should make him sixteen specifically because Spanish Jackie is twenty five, played by a fifty year old woman, and I yeah. love that. And piracy is a rough life, guys. And they and they could at this point too. Steed would only be, I believe, twenty six or twenty seven years old. Uh, yeah, and also and, kudos for everyone having their own natural accents too. They just didn't even bother to make everyone British, which was uh, which was which was smart because I feel like uh, trying to go anything other than a heightened sense of reality with a show like this would have resulted in sort of a tonal backlash. Uh, I feel like the accents kind of play into. It's like, okay, this is definitely something silly and we can, and it draws you in enough to where you lower your guard Uh-oh. so that whenever it does something surprising, you just kind of roll with it. And it's, oh, there's, there's just so much to like about this show. And it's, it's one of the things I, I know that it did get renewed for a second season. I'm hoping that we get to see that second season. Uh, I don't know how the... HBO Max shakeup is going to affect the second season, but I'll be honest. If I know I was reading that Netflix is having some flagging sales for a number of reasons. And man, if they were smart, they would pick up our flag means death. The minute HBO gives it the ax, if it gives it the ax, I really hope not. Like here's oh, yeah, the if... thing. Here's the thing. I'm not going to begrudge people that like reality shows because everyone has their escapist media that they like. But I will say I am concerned with this because I don't want everything to be a reality show. I want there to be variety. I want actors well, my, to be paid. My biggest rate. gripe I want oh, My ahead. biggest gripe is I just I don't want entertainment to largely be dependent on what a corporation's budget will allow. And I I like at least up to this point that HBO was willing to take risks with what they were producing, whether that was series or original movies or what have you. And I'm afraid that the further along we get and the way, and just looking at the state of streaming that shows like our flag means death are going to be fewer and far further between because of situations like this. Well, and it's not only that, it's also based on executives, personal taste too. I mean, a positive example is this, is that, the executives at AMC loved Halt and Catch Fire and kept it going for four seasons because they liked it. And as, as high quality and as great as that show was, it was still dictated by corporate tastes. That's a positive example. Yeah, and I you, mean... Yeah. And for for those of my... Uh, those are the people that follow me because of my career in uh in wrestling we the, we always go back to and this is oddly enough tied to warner brothers um the the original uh time warner time warner merger that ended uh wcw's tenure at tnt it was just because the incoming executives did not like wrestling 
they thought it was a they thought it was garbage entertainment. Didn't want another network. <laughs> axed. Uh, Even though it was doing well, from what I from what I imagine, it was it was doing respectable enough numbers to that it probably could have been sold off to somebody for much more than it eventually did sell for. And there's a there's a whole uh, there's a whole good uh, book about that as well called uh, "The Rise and Fall of WCW" by Brian Alvarez. Uh, if you're interested in the behind the scenes of what that quagmire was like. Um, and I hate that that is the conversation that's being, that's kind of steering our, our look at our flag means death. At least what I've seen online today, that's what a lot of people are talking about. Um, right. and not a, the fact that it was, it, it was such a, a successful show that pulled in, uh, as you said, ratings comparable to other big, uh, big I mean, tent mobile releases on other platforms. Surpassed Star Wars. It surpassed Star Wars and Marvel shows. Because, for one thing, too, it was also a show that, aside from Steed, centered... Well, aside from Steed and um, Lucius and uh, Izzy. But Lucius and Izzy are secondary characters. But it's still centered queer people of color. Jim's storyline takes up a lot of space. Um, Blackbeard's storyline takes up... You know, and even though it's tied in with Steed's, like... You know, it's still centered, like, Vika Ortiz's career is taking off because of this, and I'm so happy for them. Like, yeah. they're a fantastic performer. I- I'd never seen them in anything before this, and I really hope that, that they become, like, ubiquitous in a way that at least gets them paid, but also makes them comfortable. I don't know what their uh, comfort levels are with fame, but I hope it's enough. Well, I feel like their performance here is... Paid. is entirely magnetic enough that if they're not getting phone calls for other projects, that's just kind of astounding to me because if you look at, if you look at the characters that are presented on this, uh, on this particular show, everybody nails it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Jim is, is a huge standout in terms of endearing themselves to the audience. Um, after every show, I found myself sort of trying to appropriate Button's uh, manner of cadence. Oh, I love like, Button's. Like it's it was just absolutely, uh, absolutely, just it got its hooks in me. And I, there's just something about the way that Reese that Reese Darby, the way he speaks, it's just it makes him such a standout performer, and it really does imbue. Steed Bonnet with a likability that if we're just going off of the historical record, most people would not like this man. Uh, for for context, um, there was a point in reality where even Blackbeard got really tired of exactly how obnoxious and tiring he was and exactly how inept he was. So much so that Blackbeard essentially abandoned him, tr- tricked him and abandoned him and left left with his own boat. Uh, so the fact that Reese Darby is able to make this character, uh, in he some way, endearing, a dick because he did abandon his family. Yeah. And I, speaking of his family, I do want to point out that, uh, his wife played by, uh, Claudio Doherty. Um, she's freaking hilarious. She's freaking hilarious. And I loved seeing her as, uh, as Mary Bonnet. And I loved, 
the interactions whenever Steed returns home after spending his time on the, uh, on the, you know, spending his time away trying to pirate and he comes back home having, uh, and his family having moved on basically pretending that he was dead. It was almost an, an, Oh brother, where art though? Oh, he got hit by a train situation. Um, I loved the interactions between Steed, Mary and the kids and I loved yeah. how that all played out. That the episode, oh, well, the episode where he fake where he ends up faking his death to get away was it had me howling. I really loved that Mary was written as extremely sympathetic and frustrated with Steed's bullshit, and not as an obstacle. Right, because, because it would be very easy. Yeah, she was yeah. she was rightfully upset that her husband just up and left her with her kids. <laughs> you know. Yeah, you can and- you can definitely see Mary's point of view even though yeah. Steed is our uh you know, Steed is our central character, that doesn't mean that he is without flaw or beyond criticism and I like the fact that uh the show plays into the fact that we can be sort of taken aback at how cringeworthy his actions are from time to time. And yet at the same moment, admire uh, how he manages to navigate certain situations. I loved uh, again, the pyramids, the pyramid scheme episode, whenever Steed, whenever Steed is trying to sort of help Blackbeard navigate his way into sort of high society. And he's explaining the value of passive aggression. Mm-hmm. and just everything about the way that Steed was able to show that he can command a situation despite the fact that you think he's inept. Uh, and it's such a testament to Reese Darby's performance that you're able to ping pong back and forth between the idea of pitying him for being so inept and then also going, okay, yeah, bravo. You handled that pretty well. Uh, a lesser actor would not have been able to make that work as well as Reese Darby does. And which is why I'm glad that he finally got a role like this. That's worthy of his talents. The same thing goes for Leslie Jones. Oh yeah. Leslie Jones is an incredible performer. Very, very funny, but she's rarely given a character that's got uh, a pathos to her too. It's usually just, they usually just are like, you're 100% comedy. But Spanish Jackie had depth. Yeah, they did something with Spanish Jackie that they other productions would have used that as a maybe a one episode cameo and left it very surface level. I like the fact that we return to Spanish Jackie later on in the progression of this of the season. And what we think we're going to get out of her is subverted. And I think that that's kind of a good way to look at the series as yeah. a whole. She is has a, that well, the fact that she's got a she has a truce with Jim by the end, which sets which up was, her coming back. Which was not what I expected. I fully expected that to be. Yeah. I fully expected her and Jim to have an arc, but I did not expect it to resolve itself in that way, and I expected it to drive drama in a different direction. So, I find the writing of this show to be extremely sharp and extremely well thought out. Um, 
there are some things that, and like I said earlier on in this episode, you know, this is a subject that I studied in college and I find it interesting and I've done outside research on it. And there are some things that I have to put aside my own personal tastes and let the let the show take me where it wants to take me because one of the more interesting characters in uh, pirate history is Calico Jack Rackham played by Will Arnett in this show. And he is depending on who, which expert you ask, he may uh, Calico Jack may have been the person who invented the Jolly Roger flag that we associate with piracy. Um, And he is a central figure in the golden age of piracy here. He's relegated to basically a one episode comedy bit. And I would have loved, and I was kind of surprised that they didn't keep him around considering that if we look at where his place in history uh, places him, eventually he hooks up with uh, the famous duo of uh, Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed, who would fit very, very well into the world that is created with yeah, our flag say, means death. That's a that's a good season two arc though, because you just see him get knocked out of the boat by a cannonball. He might still be alive. Yeah, I, I'm hoping that they're going to bring him back and introduce Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed because I that that sort of how could unconventional relationship among amongst those three to counterbalance the unconventional relationship that we see between Steed, uh, Izzy, and Blackbeard, I I feel like that could drive a really interesting, even if it's just a miniature arc in season two, I think that it would be worth exploring. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm still eating. (laughs) You're like, can't talk now, eating. Um, So I do also want to talk about the the, the main thing that I actually wanted to talk about whenever we were going to do this episode is that relationship between uh, Izzy, Ed, and Steve Bonnet. Um, we talked a lot about how this is a show that does not let characters be defined by their sexuality. And I love the organic way that Ed and Steed sort of find each other within the narrative of this story. And I love the way that Ed is so oblivious to what Steed is feeling and indeed what feelings are. And I love the way that Lucian (laughs) interjects himself into it to basically be that best friend. Like if this were, if this were a traditional romantic comedy, that would be, I, I believe Lucian would be like would, be, would either be the gay best friend or like the the yassified like next door neighbor or whatever. Yeah, and I just, I just not only but Lucius is quote the gay best friend to gays and himself has characterization outside of being gay. He's um he's probably the character that is most defined by being gay simply because you know uh, he talks about his relationship with Pete, uh, drawing naked men and it's only their dicks, uh, flirting with other men to get his way. But it has, but that's just Lucius. Lucius would be like that no matter what his sexuality is, is how yeah. I see it. It's just how I feel. I feel, I feel like, like I feel like the way that he's presented, he would have those quirks if he were heterosexual as well. 
it would just be flipped in a different direction and he's he's the gay best friend but his but the best but he's best friending to gay men so it's not really like a he's not he's not presented as here's a representation you're a prop he, he doesn't come across as a token character, and nothing that he does comes across as especially stereotypical to me, um, at least in the way that homosexual men are presented in most media. Well, in term- I understand, a lot of the, A, a lot of the stuff is improv, and B, they apparently tailored the characters a lot to their performers, too. So a lot yeah. of what they write, they write for those performers, uh strengths and Nathan Fode is very much his mannerisms are very similar to that in real life uh, that's his actual speaking voice as well so it's not like he's performing as a gay man he is a gay man in real life who's acting like himself who's just yeah he's just given a we- script yeah and from what I understand looking at some of the interviews and uh behind the scenes clips that I've seen from the film from the uh from the show uh, a lot of the dramatic elements of the show are largely, they, they stick to the script as closely as possible, but whenever they start delving into the comedy, that's where they start to bring in the improv. And that's where the performers personalities start to come out. Like my favorite bit of improv from the entire season was, uh, was the menu gag. That oh was yeah. I just love that. The, the idea that, that Blackbeard of all people would understand restaurant touring just yeah oh god i, I love it and so so much delights also <laughs> yeah, you can buy, you also can buy the uh, the other bit that was apparently uh was apparently improvised was whenever blackbeard and steed take the king's pardon which was a real historical uh event by the way uh whenever they're reading the language of the pardon whenever blackbeard is like oh the small print that's where they get you that was entirely <laughs> improvised like they've got everything in big bits and then it's the small bits and just little things like that are really what i think set the uh set this apart in terms of they really let the performers personalities come out but at the same time the writing has a voice of its own and so it truly is the most this is the most melting pot of a show i can think of in recent memory where it takes the voices of so many different creatives to make what the final product is. And it really just sings because of it. Right. And while we are Taika Waititi fans here on the show, I I really wish that people would not always refer to it as his show. For what yeah. He's, he he's an executive producer, it. but he is but he just, not the creator. He mostly just acts in it. And I think that while he deserves credit for his performance and for producing this and fronting the money for it, it's not his show. It really is an ensemble in the truest sense of the word. The only credit I do want to give Taika Waititi is I love the fact that he rose to prominence and now is using that prominence to give shows like Our Flag Means Death and Reservation Dogs a place on the airwaves because I still haven't watched reservation dogs yet. I've only watched the pilot episode, but I loved what I saw. And I just love that Taika Waititi is using his fame and his influence and his pull and his sway to get things that 
would have such a struggle getting onto a network, giving them the platform that they deserve. And so I, I do want to give him his kudos yeah, I for that. that. No, I, and I'm not saying that his contribution should be downplayed at all. Um, I just I, think that we, we, we like his I would love to show. see, I would just love to see more people giving credit to, uh, to the creators of the show. Um, David Jenkins is credited as the creator. And like I said, I haven't seen his other work. Uh, me neither, but, but I want to now and I'm, but I'm excited. This makes me want to. And I feel like that's something that I haven't experienced in a little bit. Um, where I go into something expecting one thing and then kind of go down a rabbit hole. Uh, it's been a while since I've been off on one of those little rabbit holes. It tends to happen a lot more for me with music. Like I'll go to a concert and I'll see an opening band and I'll be like, Oh, I've got to, I've got to go find this entire catalog and then I'll go to their show and then I'll, you know, find the opening act for them. And it goes down this whole path. Uh, with our flag means death. I, there's a lot of, the performers, I'd like to see more of what they've done. I'm hoping that that's the same feeling that a lot of people get whenever they watch this. Like, I'm hoping somebody who's never seen uh, Reese Darby before checks out some of his other work. Uh, well, like, I I have opinions in all caps about Alejandro Jodorowsky. I do. Um, they're not for right now. But I do know that Taika Waititi is working on a an in-cal adaptation. Um, I had heard about in-cal- that. Incal is my all-time favorite comic book. Um, I got it. Ta- I got. I have bits from it tattooed on my back. Um, that uh, that I got before I found out kind of what a dirtbag Jodorowsky was. Um, but I still love Mobius. Uh, so um, I do hope that Samba Shute gets cast as John DeFool in the lead. Because the more I watch this, the more I'm just like. This man needs to be in anything he wants to be in. This this show should this show should make almost pretty much every member of the cast be able to walk up to any casting director and be like, "I want to be in this," and the casting director's like, "Yep." That's how fantastic everyone is. Like, I I want to see more Samson Ko too. As Olawunde, he has um, you know, he's got to play the straight man role, which is not always the most it's soft. It sometimes can be the think, thankless comedy role because everyone kind of focuses on the gag characters. But man, he not only holds his own as the straight man, but his, his character is also given uh, like a love story with a lot of heart to it with Jim. It's, it's beautiful. He's very well-rounded. He's more than just the straight man. And it's funny, funny because, because the, and it's funny because, man. and it's funny because the, the, the straight man in this, uh, in this series, sometimes tends to fluctuate. Um, shout out to Rory Kinnear for uh, oh god for his, for his work. Well, I, his, see, see, like with Rory, with Rory Kinnear and with Con O'Neill, I don't know if they're necessarily the straight men so much as they're from a different genre of pirate movie. Yeah, Con, they're still, they're st- Con O'Neill, who Con plays Izzy Hands, um, absolutely knows what he's doing. From the second he shows up all the way oh, through yeah. the series, he knows exactly what he's doing. And like I said, I feel like he... Well, in fairness, everyone in the show does. Yeah. But, and... Kato, but what I'm saying is like Izzy Hands comes from a completely different show. And so yeah. does all of Rory Kinnear's characters. They come from like the old Merchant Ivory kind of uh, very Sirs British PBS pirate stuff. And everyone else is a Muppet. 
And, and what's funny, what's really funny is the way that Con O'Neill as Izzy, whenever he breaks, like whenever you see the cracks in the character. <laughs> oh, and, daddy. And, like, he's just, he's so, oh, Con O'Neill had a great year so far between this and his small role in the Batman. Which uh, I finally, I finally did see the Batman and I was, I was, I knew he was in it, but I was disappointed at for how little he was in it. That's the only disappointment from that movie. The only disappointment that I have now is that he doesn't have a more prominent character role to (laughs) fill in later installments because he's such a, he's got such a presence, but he's also, he also checks a lot of boxes of the classic quote unquote character actor. So I'm just, I'm just glad that he's getting work. And I think he's going to, he'll blow up in a major way. Uh, it's what's funny is I saw the uh, the trailer today for the newest Martin McDonough movie, which reunites Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, which I am super super excited about. <laughs> and the the prospect of eventually having uh, having Khan show up in like a Martin McDonough movie, like that sets my titters all a flitter. Um, he's he's just an amazing presence on screen. The fact that he like I said, the, the breaks are really what make that character because he's well, a his very. His interactions with Lucius are some of the funniest in the, like that's one of the funniest things in the whole show. And that's that's saying something because every episode is just chalked to the brim with, and I don't know if I, I can speak for everybody, but the style of humor in this particular show hits me exactly where it needs to. Um, it's very much my sensibility. And I find it difficult to describe this type of humor to people who are not familiar with it. Yeah. Because, I've been having a hard time. I've been having a hard time trying to, cause it's. Because it's, if I try to explain it to somebody who has not seen the, who has not seen yeah. it. And I try to play up the gay angle of it or exactly how queer it is. The it's, it's not a major selling point to the average everyday yeah. person. Actually, Here's here's how I would frame it to people. It's a Christopher Guest movie by people who spell color with a U. Okay, that's a good way of saying. It. That's a good way of putting it. It does feel very Christopher Guesty. It's it's like a very British because and very Kiwi. It's very British and very Kiwi humor. So that's why I've said color with a U. It, and there are parts of it that remind me um, of like early Peter Jackson humor as well. So it's uh, definitely like, got the, like New Zealand is all over this thing, but your average, your average movie watcher or your average like person sitting down to boot up HBO max. I don't know how familiar they are with New Zealand humor. Uh, but it's, well, you know what? They, they got a taste of it with um, flight of the Concords. Yes. I guess if you like flight, if, if you, you like flight of the Concords, really well, which makes sense because Reese Darby was involved. Taika Waititi, I think, directed some of that um, as well. And I, that was the first thing that I ever saw Reese Darby in. And then from there, I got to watch a stand up. And a stand, if you have not had a chance to watch his stand up, is great. I love oh, his stand up. My brother, his my delivery brother is. And I will quote like, oh yeah, my brother and I will quote, oh yeah, oh yeah. You like girls? Oh yeah, yeah. You like boys? Yeah. Got no, nothing wrong with them. <laughs> Apparently, apparently Korg from the Thor movies. His voice patterns were based on Reese Darby. That doesn't surprise me at all. I don't know if that's I don't know if that's true or not, but I read about it and I was it's one of those things that it would not surprise me if it's true because it's 
It's We're going to hop on this spaceship. You want to come? <laughs> Help, Thor, I'm perishing. <laughs> I... And that should also be an episode. I just want to go on the record. Uh, I've seen a lot of people complaining about there was too much Korg in Love and Thunder. Shut up. I love Korg. Uh, so do I. There was not enough meek, however. No, not enough meek. Uh, but I will, I will say as far as the way that the humor is constructed for this particular show, it feels more like what we do in the shadows, the film than what we do in the shadows, the show. Uh, yeah, and but granted, I do love what we do in the shadows, the show. I, I love, love both versions of what we do in the shadows oh, for yeah. different reasons. And I yeah. feel like, uh, and this goes back to us saying, we don't want people to think this is like, or refer to this as Taika's show. Um, because it really is very much a group effort. And I, he, I will, I'm going to. And Taika's sense of humor gets, gets diffused through his different collaborators a lot of times. And, this one, the diffusion is very much filtered through, okay, we have an ensemble cast and they are bringing themselves to their right. uh, their I interpretation mean, of the script. Reese, it's also still very much, if you're going to look at the influence of Kiwi humor, it's still very Reese Darby as well. Yeah, I, I, whatever. I, I don't think a lot of American audiences are as familiar with Reese Darby except in bit roles in Hollywood movies, but like, or, or um, in front of the Concords, raise Mary. But the only, like, the only like, reason a lot I'm of his is still very, a lot of his own humor is still very present in this too. Yeah, and the only reason, excuse me, the only reason that I am as familiar with Reese Darby as I am is because of his. You know, I was a stand-up aficionado for a while, and I loved what I saw of him there. Uh, I yeah. actually haven't oh, seen a whole great. lot of his acting roles because. I, I, you know, I can point to Guns Akimbo and things like that. Oh, but I love Guns Akimbo. Uh, Guns Akimbo was. Guns Akimbo was, was a uh, was a trip. I love Guns Akimbo so much, um, but he was also. Uh, I think he was in Jumanji. Jumanji. Um, again, smaller role there. But still, like, I love Reese Darby. And and look, some of it, too. Like, I want Taika Waititi to get his due. But, and this was going to come up, Jake. I'm sorry. It's a rant that I always have to get. I'm a little concerned about some of his fans. Yeah. Um, Because a lot of, a lot of his fans have been doing some weird stuff like, well, I headcanon him as bisexual and in a relationship with Chris Hemsworth, but they're polyamorous, and that's why they have girlfriends and wives. Or the one that the one that really bothers me the most, though, is I headcanon him as autistic. There's a lot of which sort of bother. Well, let me. May I interject real? Quick? Yeah, you 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 go ahead because I'm right there with you on this one. What bothers me about that one specifically is that, um. The Nazis tested so much on autistic children and would kill the ones that they did not deem useful. In fact, the term Asperger is from Hans Asperger, who was a Nazi. Um, and if you are talking about, I headcanon this Jewish man as autistic, 
when historically the Nazis not only persecuted, they tested autistic Jewish children and autistic uh, German children. That is not okay. And I don't know what it is about Taika Waititi that I see this more than I am seeing. And I think some of it has to do with the fact that he's a man of color and therefore already kind of prone to being fetishized. It bothers me. Um, his sexuality is none of our business. His, whether or not he is neurodivergent is none of our business. The only thing that is ever our business is if he is actively causing harm to people and not making amends for it. That's yeah, the and only, like, and, and it bothers me because like white men are always given the benefit of the separate art from the artist. Men of color, not as much, which is why a lot of people are conflating him with Blackbeard. Mm -hmm. um, he, Taika Waititi is not Blackbeard. He puts a lot of himself in Blackbeard, but Blackbeard is a character that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what he's like in real life. He's not, if he, if he is secretly in a relationship with Chris Helmsworth, then whatever, man, but that's not our business. And it's, it's, I mean, parasocial stuff like this has always existed, but I'm not sure why it's so amplified around Taika Waititi right now. He's just a guy. Like, I like his work just fine. And as far as I know, anything that he's done that's been problematic, he's either fixed or it's not like he's... I don't know. I, I, I just know that this bothers me a lot and please yeah. don't do and it's that funny me, it's funny that you bring me. that up because i've seen it's it's a weird intersection of i i've seen the a, a weird uptick in weird odd parasocial relationships between fans and consumers of media and the people that produce it and also a weird uptick in people self-diagnosing as neurodivergent and specifically, I, okay. specifically I, claiming autism or whatever I, you want to call it. I do have some opinions about that that are counter to you mm -hmm. on account of getting tested for it is extremely expensive and yes. getting, a formal, getting a formal diagnosis can also ban you from get from entering certain countries for travel or for work. So and I it's can, also... If, if I can interject there too, it's also extremely on, there is a medical bias for uh, people of color as well. Um, right. Cause so I, I, I've discussed this well, with uh, several people who have brought this to my attention. Um, it's more in terms of the people that I'm bringing up are the ones that I'm trying to find a way to phrase it without coming across as insensitive, but these are people that live in somewhat of a bubble and really do not know what they're speaking to whenever they apply these diagnoses themselves. And they don't, they don't do any appropriate research for it. It's just, they are, they mistake their, they, they're using it as a man, as a means to define personality traits that they don't understand. And it's, it's less me being upset that these people are self-diagnosing and more being upset in the general state of our medical and especially whenever it comes to mental health issues in this country. Um, right. I, I, I am generally 
I, I think I have a, a, a more, um, I guess, sympathetic view towards self-diagnosis. I think that for a judgment, it would have to be on a person-by-person -person basis, and it's not on me to just interrogate every single person that says I'm... Well, I think my... And my problem isn't so much with the people who self-diagnose. If you want to self-diagnose, fine. If that's if that helps you to manage and understand yourself, I, I don't think that does a whole lot of wrong. What I will say, I, like in my case, in my case, self-diagnosing PTSD was how I ended up getting a real diagnosis of PTSD because and I, I researched and I saw the symptoms and I took it to a therapist and I said I'm displaying these symptoms and I suspect that I have PTSD and. We talked it through as a crew, and he was like, "Yeah, you, this is you are exhibiting the symptoms of PTSD. I think this is a correct diagnosis." So, speaking and that of makes sense. Who, has, who has had, the, but I mean, I also had the luxury of being able to see a therapist. Yeah, and what I really take issue with more than the self-diagnosis, because honestly, if that can help you to manage your trauma, your pain, your life, that's a net positive and I'm okay with that. What I am seeing an uptick in is people who have self-diagnosed then proclaiming themselves to be experts and giving bad medical advice to susceptible people who otherwise should be seeking yeah, and that's a a fair, avenues for help. Yeah. And that's a, that's a fair and nuanced look at it. Um, but I also just don't think in general, don't diagnose Taika Waititi as autistic because that's problematic in a lot of ways, but especially problematic because he's Jewish and given the history of how the Nazis treated autistic children, especially. Yeah, and I, and I, I see it a lot. Um, I, I've, uh, I'm, I'm not going to get into the ins and outs of it, but I've seen a lot of people uh, with regards to celebrities and just, just anyone who's in the public eye these parasocial relationships where they for, they think they have formed a bond with somebody and it creates an uncomfortable situation, not only for the person that's in the public eye, but for everyone around them. Uh, and it can get to a dangerous place. Uh, I've seen that happen uh, up close and personal and it's not pretty, but at least I will say one thing that's a net positive with Our Flag Means Death. The fan community that has sprung up around this show is overwhelmingly positive and right. overwhelmingly uh, just a, a wonderful group of people to talk about the show with. Uh, right. There's a they few people engage with their fans in a really fun way. Like I, someone did a supercut of Con O'Neill kissing men in movies which could have been like, oh God. But uh, he saw it and he retweeted it and just captioned it, slut. <laughs> like he was which is perfectly on brand. And it shows that that's a, you know, it's a boundary that he is okay with. But I really hope that people suss out boundaries and don't assume them. Right. That's, that's something that I think that fans of any media could really take to heart. We've seen... Uh, I'm, I'm just utterly dismayed by the amount of creator harassment that I see in multiple different mediums. God, poor Constance Wu attempted suicide because of the harassment that she got on, on social media. That's horrific. Yeah, I, Constance Wu is great. She's yeah, a fantastic and, actress. And, and then I, going back to like the Kelly Marie Tran drama following Last Jedi. It's just... 
social media sometimes can feel like a huge mistake. Yeah. But at the same time, there is an amazing, like I said, an amazing community that sprung up around this show because it inspired so many people because of what it's done and the way that it presents these characters and these ideas and the representation that it puts on screen right. that you don't and see. The on... That the cast and crew encourage it and appreciate it. Uh, and um, that's good. I, I like that. If they also said, hey, this makes me uncomfortable, I really hope that people would also, because like, I remember, I'm old enough to remember Sherlock fandom and people <clears throat> forcing Martin Freeman and Benedict Cumberbatch to look at nude pornographic drawings of themselves. Yeah. The, and they, uh, were the visibly, uncom- they were visibly uncomfortable by it. And people were like, well, you're just homophobic, but they're, you can, they're like, real people. I am, and- I am very, I am, I am clearly, clearly, if anybody reads my Twitter, am not any kind of homophobic or biphobic, but if someone were to show me pornographic drawings of myself with another woman, I would not be disturbed because it's another woman. I would be disturbed because it's me. And I don't yeah. want people to be, if, if people are thinking of me like that, I don't want to know about it and I don't want to see it. Precisely. It's and that, that was, that was the worst. That was like the worst era of, of Tumblr fandom was the Sherlock and Dr. Who and supernatural fandoms just going in really creepy directions with their fan creations and who oh boy it was a lot to handle at times but, and it, you know it's it's hard to talk about sometimes because you feel like you're being kink shamey or regular shame you know, but i just all i'm saying is about think about boundaries please yeah if someone definitely. like i said i wouldn't be i would be uncomfortable if someone drew me pornographically not because i have I have nothing even against pornography unless it's like of children or rape or something, uh, you know, pretty normal boundary, but seeing myself and people thinking of me in sexual terms would be very upsetting and bothersome to me for a lot of personal reasons. And that's, that's not a bad thing. It's just a boundary. Some people are okay with it and I support them, but don't do it. um, Don't show them unless you know, they're okay with it. Yeah, it needs to be something where you understand the boundaries, where they're set, and what people are comfortable with. Right, um, and see, like, I, from what I understand, Taika Waititi is okay with all of the drawings that he sees of, of, uh, like, he says, he refers to it as softcore porn, and he likes yeah. it. So, by all means, continue making it because he said he likes it, and he's okay with it, and he saves it to his phone. That's all right, because he's okay with it. But, like, if someone else on the show wasn't, and don't do it. It's very simple. Yeah, if you're really a fan of something, you should do the completely normal thing and just start your own damn podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's what we did. And look at what, look at how we turned out. Yeah, we're, we're, we're very completely fine. Well, we're very well-adjusted adults. We're so well-adjusted. We've we're spent just, over an hour discussing our favorite gay pirate show. I mean, Jake and I are in our mid-30s and he works in wrestling and I do I voice of cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've got a, I'm, uh, I've got a, your collections. I've got a, I've got a wrestling show on Saturday, which is my birthday. I'm working on my birthday. Oh, happy birthday. I worked on my yeah. birthday this year too. So I did improv, uh, I did an improv show on my birthday. Yeah. So we'll see how that turns out. Uh, but, um, I guess we'll start trying to wrap this up so that, uh, we can begin preparing for next week's episode. Um, 
but yeah, I, what I love so much about this show is that it brings so much to the table that it gives us really well-written characters that feel alive and vibrant and nothing feels overly stereotypical or uh, predictable. Or even, I'll even say this, it doesn't feel like it's patting itself on the back for progress. That too. It there, just it, is. It, there, there isn't this sense of, uh, it's like, I'm Joss Whedon and I invented strong female characters. Uh, it doesn't have that vibe. Um, yeah, that's a good It definitely feels like, it definitely feels like the creator sat back and said, you know what, this is the show that I want to make. This is the show that I think people will enjoy and they can take it or leave it, but I'm not going to change it for anybody. And these are the stories that I want to tell with the people that I think can tell the story best. And it really sings because of it. I absolutely adore it. And I know that not everybody is going to be into it. And I think that's why I was struggling so hard to come up with a way to describe this to people who have not watched it. There are some friends that I wouldn't recommend it to simply because it's too silly. Like their style of humor is they don't, they don't care for like, it's the same people that don't like Monty Python because it's too silly. It's okay to not like silly. Um, but I would definitely recommend this to people who like silly and they like silly flavored with some heart and drama and romance along the way. Yeah. It's, it's, and there's a, a sliding scale of silly. This thing doesn't go full Looney Tunes, but, uh, it's, it's definitely silly enough that I can see some people being turned off by it. And that's entirely okay. Well, like you, you put it, you put it pretty, pretty succinctly early when you called it heightened reality. It has a, it's, it's a reality similar to ours, but with a little more absurdity to it. Yeah. Which makes, which makes perfect sense. And I I hope that people uh, who have not watched it will give it a chance because I think that there's a lot to like here. And if you're a fan of that style of comedy, it hits all the right buttons. It's just a matter of you've got to be on its wavelength. Um, I don't think that this is a show that if you're not, if you're not on its wavelength, that's okay. Everyone's comedy sensibilities are different and you shouldn't be expected to like it just because we do. Uh, But I do recommend that if you are watching this and you have not watched it and you were curious about it, that, um, that you give it a shot because it is extremely fun and, I would also love to see more comedy for queer people of color. That is the joke is not, I'm a queer person of color. Ha ha ha. Exactly. And I think that that's, if this podcast gets one or two people to boot up HBO and watch this series, I'll consider it a success. Like I said, in the, uh, the introduction, while you were off, uh, scavenging for food. One of the things that I enjoy about our podcast is that we don't have the typical dynamic of uh, it's, you know, point counterpoint. Uh, we usually focus this podcast more on things that both of us enjoy. And we yeah. try to point out the reasons why our audience would enjoy or should try to enjoy this particular piece of media. Well, that and because uh, I just, I don't, uh, to quote, to quote the great Annie Bullock, Annie, I miss you. Uh, she's not dead or anything. It's just been a while since we last saw her because of, you know, COVID and everything. Um, But to quote her, I like liking things. 
I yeah. would much prefer to talk about things that we enjoy versus being negative for the sake of negative. And every time on this show, when we have been um, negative about something, it's more from a place of disappointment because we wanted to like it. We didn't go watch things specifically to tear it down. Not that there's, I mean, there are people that do that and it's very funny, but that's not our format. That's not we want. That's not what we want to do. Um, I just don't have the energy to record my hatred anymore, if that makes sense. It's like, I, I only have so much energy to operate uh, in a given week. Uh, there's just so much out there that consumes my time and consumes my energy. So if I'm going to engage in a creative endeavor, if I'm going to take the time to put myself out there and create something, I want it to have a net positive effect. So if I don't like something, I'm not going to spend an hour and 12 minutes talking about it on a podcast. That's not a good use of my time. However, if there's something that I enjoy and I want to try to get other people to enjoy that, I think that's a worthwhile use of my yeah. time and energy. So that's just my personal philosophy. Take it or leave it now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I said, we want to try and be positive here. Um, if, if you want negativity, that can be very funny. Um, by all means go, but we're just not, we don't have the energy for that. Yeah. I um, mean, I, maybe there will be one think- week. There'll be one week where I'm just, I'm just feeling squirrely and I'll just, we can just record for an hour and a half talking about all the things that we hate. But for now, I just, I really want to put some positive energy out into the world. And I feel like lately, lately I haven't watched anything that I've hated because I think just the more that you and I analyze things and the more I watch things, the better idea I have of what kind of things I would like and what kind of things I wouldn't like, which is why I have gotten really good at avoiding things that I'm not going to enjoy. I've right, exactly. So, I mean, really, really good at it. Yeah, same. So, I mean, I, I'm i like, why would I waste my time on something I know I'm not going to like? Um, now, there's stuff that I've liked that I've been disappointed in, but I at least gave it a shot. Um, so... Yeah, it's like the 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 whenever we were on hiatus, people were asking me, it's like, oh, are you guys going to do Morbius? No, I'm not going to do Morbius. No. I'm sorry. Like... There, that would require I, us I, to watch Morbius, and I don't want to watch it. Exactly. I just don't want to watch Morbius. It's, it, it, for, for reasons... I, I, I don't even need reasons, but there's... What would that accomplish? There are be, 150 different podcasts and listicles and articles and breakdowns that you can watch that can tell you why Morbius is a piece of junk. You don't need to add my two cents to that. I don't feel like there are as many people out there putting out deep dive podcasts about Our Flag Means Death. That's why we're here. Oh, no, there are. But I think we need to add to it because I do think that it is a very important show in terms of what it's trying to accomplish and what it has accomplished. And that I don't think that its successes need to be ignored. I think it. I think instead what it needs to do is set a precedent. Make your shows gayer and blacker and browner and people will watch it. It will resonate with people. People will like it. Put your money towards those shows. And beyond that, do something different. Just finding some way to put your own stamp on what you do and not churn out something that's the same as everything else on television. That's what people want to see. 
there's a place for comfort TV, things that are familiar, but the things that we're going to look back on fondly are the ones that are the trailblazers, the ones that do things first and best. And I think that over time, eventually down the road, people are going to look back on our flag means death and go, man, that was a ballsy show that did it its own way. And it's going to secure its place in pop culture because of that. Yes. So yeah, that's my final piece on it. Is there anything else you would like to add? Um, HBO, if you don't, or Discovery Plus, now, if you don't renew it, you're making a huge mistake because somebody else will pick it up. It's going to it's gonna get expanded. Yeah, I mean, because it's, it's been... Get Tuka, it's going to get Tuca and because people don't always know what gems they've got. Yeah, I, I it and would be a shame... A if we don't see a season two, because I know it's been renewed. That doesn't mean anything. Cause if they can make an entire $90 million movie and throw it down the drain, who cares getting, giving but the green light. Somehow, to the but somehow Ezra Miller's flash gets to stay on the slate. Ezra Miller kidnapped a person. Ezra Miller straight up kidnapped a person. And they, they keep the flash movie. Leslie Grace's Batgirl, like, as far as I know, nothing really shitty has happened with the cast and crew. I'm just so upset because I was so ready to see Brendan Fraser as Firefly. Like, I wanted to see that really, really badly. And now it's just it's just a huge what if. And I Brendan hope... Fraser having a career resurgence is one of the best things that has happened in recent years. He's great. The story of why he left Hollywood is horrific. Um, I don't recommend people reading it. If uh, you want to avoid stories of assault and mental illness, don't, but it's a horrible story. What happened to him? And I'm so, so glad that, that he is in a place where he feels comfortable to practice his art again. And that he yeah, feels and I know he does have, uh, he does have a role in an upcoming Darren Aronofsky film later this year that at least we get Good. to see. Um, but it, it would have been nice to see him get a film that I think would have reached a, a much wider audience. Um, and the, the, the situation with HBO and discovery and Warner brothers, all of that is just a gigantic mess that we just do not have enough time to address, but hopefully it doesn't yeah. affect our flag means death. And hopefully we get a season two and uh, this time next year we can come back and do a, a, a deep dive into season two of Our Flag Means Death because I, uh, would love that if that happens, I love that talking be... about it and I hope that uh, we can help spread awareness of that particular show. It's a great show and anyone who thinks that it's their style of humor should watch it. And if it's All not right. your style of humor, you're valid and we support you. Yeah, you just... Uh, like what you like, enjoy what you enjoy. Don't spend too much time wasting energy on things that uh, don't live up to your standards. Um, yeah. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the show. We will be back again next week, uh, assuming I don't get an infection in my other leg. Um, oh, please, Jake. I'm so sorry about that. I, I had no oh, idea. Oh, it's fine. I'm just... Uh, I'm just a walking medical time bomb at this point. I, uh, it's okay. I mean, I'm a walking what the hell just happened. Because, yeah. you know, I talked about my condo flooded. That that was actually the second time in six months that that happened. You are the only person I know whose condo would flood during a drought year. Uh, because it was a, 
improperly installed toilet upstairs. Yeah, that's that is the very definition of your luck. I am so sorry. Insurance paid for most of it. Anyway, well, at uh, least there's until that. Next, until next week, everybody, when we're going to see Nope. Yeah, we're, we'll probably we'll end up covering Nope, uh, and then uh, probably we're next on yes, the slate after nope. that. Yes. <laughs> I might oh, even yeah. have Tori sit in on that episode because I, I she really enjoyed that. Um, oh, fun. For those of, for those of you longtime listeners of the show, you know my wife Tori. Um, Tori is not a fan of anything even remotely scary. We can be going to see a Pixar movie, and the first question she will ask me when we get in the car is, "Do you think it will be scary?" So the fact that I got her into the theater for Nope is a minor miracle. So I will yeah, definitely I try I, to have her come I on. Hear how you did that? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was it was an experience. So that will probably be our next up on the slate. Uh, hope you guys have an amazing week, and we will see you next time. <laughs>